0: Thank you Shane for setting us up with the scripture reading. Uh, I want to introduce myself to you all. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and we're so glad you're joining us um, here at Providence Road. I want to welcome you and we're honored that if you're a guest with us, we're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning with us. I see a lot of very recent college grads in the room, which is awesome, and obviously some parents in town who came in for the big occasion. So that's awesome that that has happened, and hopefully you've had a good weekend. Um, but like Shane said, it is also Mother's Day. And um, we say this every year here, uh, but I want to give some permissions out on Mother's Day. Um, if this day brings joy and happiness, then go for it. Celebrate, spend time with family, have fun, enjoy the things that God has given you. But for other, th- those others of you, I want to also give you permission to be sad. To hate this day, to want to just move on to tomorrow because this day on the calendar is gone. I want to give you permission. I want to give you permission to lament. I want to give you permission to grieve if this has been a hard year for you as, as in that relational bit that, that, that is being a mom or wanting to be a mom or relational strife with mom or whatever it is, the heartache that comes from wanting to be a mom and not being able to be a mom. All of the things can, come, can kind of bubble up to the surface on this day because it's a day on the calendar. So I want to give you permission to just be sad. And to just want this day to be over it's okay We see you god sees you. I just want to give you permission to do that and uh Talk to somebody if that is you vent a little bit. It's okay We have plenty of people around here who will vent with you who've had really bad mother's days We've had awful mother's days in our past my uh, nicole my wife and I have it's okay But again if today's a good day for you go after it have a good time spend time uh, With your mothers with your daughters with your sons all of it grandmothers everything. Okay, go for it. Um the sermon. We are continuing on through the book of Ecclesiastes. This is week uh, three in this sermon series, which will be in uh, the majority of the summer. And I want to pray for us and then we'll jump in. Father, I'm, I'm so thankful for this time that we get to uh, have every week where we get to focus on you. We get to stop and, and try to kind of pull everything away from our lives as much as we can and focus on you and your son and your spirit. And I ask as we open your word now that you would change us, that you would um, allow us to see that this is your revelation of yourself to humanity. And because of that, we should listen. We should put ourselves under the scripture and, and be humble and want to be taught by your word. So I pray this morning that you would change our minds through the scriptures, you would change our hearts, change our desires, the deep things that are inside of us, and also change the way we live when we leave this place. And above all, I pray that your son would be uh, glorified above everything else um, today in this time. And it's in his name we pray, amen. I want you to imagine a scenario. um, You you own a home, and in this home, you've um, kind of built um, a home office for yourself, right? And in this home office, Um, It's kind of been your dream to have this home office for you, and you want uh, you've you've done you've you figured out how to do really good shelving yourself and a desk that matches it and goes with it, and you've chosen exactly the right floor and the trim and the right paint color and all the things to make this your dream room in your house and office. And then imagine that you go and decide to sell the house, sell your house, and. In the process of selling your house and people coming to look at it, um, you have a, a particular um, potential buyer who's interested in, in buying the home, and they're about to put down an offer, and you talk to your realtor about what their realtor is saying, about you know, what do they like, what do they not like, and your realtor says they think this is the perfect house. They love this house. There's only one thing that they really don't like, and it's, it's that room that you turned into an office, that's the one thing that I think they'll probably change pretty quickly if they move in, but I don't think it's gonna stop them from buying it. And, and then you ask a little bit more about the office of why wouldn't somebody want that in their home? And they're, well, it's not really about the office. It's, it's really the, the, the shelving that was put in it. And the desk is just awkward and it's, they don't really like it. Um, and so that's pro- they're probably gonna pull it out pretty quickly, but it's not gonna stop them from buying your home. And you begin to feel Kind of enraged inside, because you this was you put so much blood and sweat into building this. You're you're personally connected to it. You've worked hard for it. You've 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 done everything possible to build your dream room here in your house, and now someone comes in and says, "Nah, they're just gonna." It's the thing that they can just kind of swipe out of the way in order to buy your house to feel good about it. They don't know you put that in there. They don't know how personal it is to you. They don't know that it it was even built by you. They're just a home buyer, right? That's it. They don't know you from anyone, right? But this kind of illustrates that when we put put ourselves into something, when we work towards something, it's frustrating when other people don't take care of it or handle it. And today in this sermon, Solomon, the the, the author, or at least the, the, the words that the, in the book of of the book of Ecclesiastes are from Solomon. He may not have been the actual um, writer of the book, the one who penned the book, but these are his ideas. It tells us that much. He's going to address work, or the things we do, the actions that we go about in our everyday life. And what we do has a great impact on us. If you just think about how much work, your career, even not just your career, but other kinds of work, um, because you spend a lot of time doing it. You spend a lot of time working or in activity or preparing to work or preparing for your career. It eats up a lot of our time. It eats up a lot of our money, potentially. Um, It also um, affords us things in life that we may desire. So all these things are connected to work. So Solomon, in this book of wisdom, wants to tackle this idea of work. Maybe some of you all um, grew up um, or grew, grew a business that you owned um, to buy a house. But that you're realizing that house now sits half empty. Like you don't use half the house. Or maybe you worked extra on night and nights and weekends to afford that new car. And now six months after you've bought that car, you're kind of bored with it and you want a different one. Or maybe you poured your life out for that promotion, worked late, worked nights, but now you have nothing left to give your family, no energy. And now the kids are getting older, you wish you could have that time back that you spent trying to angle and trying to fight for that promotion. So no one ever says at the end of their life, I wish I'd really spent more time at the office, wish I really w- invested more in work or more in my career. Now that's the things people talk about as I wish I spent more time with my family my close friends, or maybe spent more time in my community, or more time investing in a cause that will outlive me when I'm gone. So Solomon is going to talk today about work, and again, career is for sure included, but this includes all the kinds of things we work for, the things that take a lot of our time in our lives. This could be stay-at-home moms and dads. This could be students. This could be people who are working in the nonprofit world, maybe not making a career out of it, but this is what you're pouring the majority of your time and effort and attention into. So when he says work, Solomon does, or toil, don't think just career, think the things that we fill our life up with, the things we do, our activity, but obviously occupation and career is included in that. And Solomon's still going to tell us that our toil is vanity and like chasing the wind. He's gonna tell us that at the beginning today, but he's going to give us hope. Right? This has been a kind of a, a, a Debbie Downer type um, uh, series so far because Solomon's just being real. He's keeping it real. But today we finally get to some good news. And I'm glad this falls just by God's providence on Mother's Day so we're not completely down in the dumps on Mother's Day. Um, but I promise by the end of the sermon, we're going to get some hope. But in giving us that hope, Solomon is going to seem like he's contradicting himself. And we're going to look at that a bit later. Um, so let's lean in now. Let's hear what he has to say about work, because this affects us all. Last week, um, Solomon is is moving through these things. He set up an experiment, and he is, again, he has the means to be able to go after anything he wants. This is a great guy to learn from, because... He was the wealthiest man in the world at the time. He was one of the most powerful men in the world at the time. He was king. He had access to anything he wanted. He could snap his fingers and it could be there for him. So when he says, I'm setting up an experiment to test knowledge, which we looked at last week, and like the, the, the uh, acquisition of wisdom, and then also the, uh, the chasing after pleasure. Right? He said, I'm going to set up this experiment. I'm going to go after what the world, all the world has to offer in these two areas and see how that plays out. And we saw it played out. But the same thing he always says. It was vanity and like chasing after the wind. It did not satisfy my deepest desires. And now he moves into work. Let's look at verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what he's already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. This is just a standard proverb, right? Like, it's better to be wise than be a fool. He's just saying that it's better to to, to be connected to the light than connected to the dark. So we kind of get that. And then in verse 14, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have there been so very wise? Why been so very, like, What was the point of me being wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity or meaninglessness. And if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, that word vanity or meaninglessness, it's like a vapor. It's like life is short and we can do nothing about it to change that, really. And that life, we can, like a vapor, like a, it's like a smoke when you blow out a candle, you can see it, you could smell it and you try to grab it. And there's nothing there when you open your hand. That's when he says vanity or meaninglessness, that's the image that he wants us to have. So he says, this is still vanity. The wise and the fool end up in the same place. We'll see what he says about that. Verse 16, for of the wise as of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance. Like we're not gonna remember either one of them after many years. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool, exclamation. So he's like, you know, I've strived to be the wise guy. I've strived to be the guy who's not kind of connected to the fools. But as I reflect now on death, it's all going to end the same. It's all going to end the same. Verse 17, so I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And wh- the point that Solomon's at here is I think the point that probably terrifies a lot of us in this room or maybe all of us in this room is that when we fast forward to the end of our life and we're reflecting back and you're thinking of how you lived your life. This is what Solomon's doing. He's now kind of thinking about his life through the, and then having kind of the, the lenses of death on. He's not necessarily close to death, but he's just kind of being very, very philosophical. He's being reflective. He's thinking ahead, he, and he, he's thinking of how have I lived um, and he's lived life hard. He's gone after everything the world has to offer, and he says it's still vanity. There's a finality to death. There's an inability to escape death. And this is a tough place to be if in that moment you're pondering death and you realize that everything you've tried in life to bring you value and worth and freedom and joy and purpose, it just really wasn't all cracked, what it was cracked up to be everything you tried didn't work. Not only have the things not satisfied him as he'd hoped, but now since he's, since he's uh, pondering death, he's starting to think, well, what's going to happen to my stuff after I'm gone, right? Like what's going to happen when I'm gone with all the things I've worked for, all the things I've accumulated? And again, he had a lot. What's going to happen to those things? What What, what, what is going to happen? And and, and what he's doing here is he's starting to think about, like, his stuff. Like, what's going to outlive him? Like, what, what can he take to the grave? One author I was reading this week was talking about this idea of death and kind of thinking about your life and, and, and kind of having these moments where you're reflective, and it's healthy for us to do this. And he goes, you go into, a, he goes into a graveyard, and he says, in a graveyard on those two stones, everybody has a, a beginning, right, a date, and everybody has an end date. And then on every, those things are different for everybody, but in the middle, everybody has a dash. Like the dash is where everything matters, right? The dash is life. The dash is, is what everyone kind of gets to choose to do in between the birth and the death. And so what he's saying here is as he's reflecting on that dash, he's starting to th- reflect on, on work and on the toil and the hours and the effort that he has put into everything. And the question I think that should come to our mind is, why does work fail him? Because he's saying it's failed him. Why? Well, let's look at verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. It's important to notice here. Now, He's not in a good place, but his frustration is not necessarily with the work itself. He's going to say a little bit later, he actually enjoyed the work. His frustration is that he's not getting enough return for his investment in the work. The fruit that he's looking for the fruit now for all the hours, all the effort, and that fruit does not match up to the effort that he's put into the work. He's lamenting that. He's asking, what do I have to show for it? And he's realizing that, that hasn't served to fulfill his deepest longings that he has as a human being. Work is not cutting it. It's exhausting, and it feels like it never ends. And then yet, I'm thinking after I die, all that stuff I've worked for is going to go away, potentially. Verse 20. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. He uses that word despair. It's a strong word. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also vanity and a great evil. That's sharp, right? He says a great evil. Um, so he's not only frustrated that the work isn't producing the fruit he wants to. Now he's reflecting on the fact that his fruit's going to be enjoyed for, with other, uh, by other people. If there is fruit to be had from his work, other people are going to enjoy it. And he doesn't know for sure. Neither, none of us will, even if we think we're leaving something in someone's good hand, can't hands in an inheritance situation. We can't be for certain that they're going to use it exactly the way you'd want them to use it. You have those ideals, you can write letters, but you just don't know how that's going to work out. Some, some inheritance are handled in a healthy way. Some inheritance can tear families apart in the battle for the, 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 the legal side of that. And ultimately, we don't really have any control over our wealth after we're gone. And how it's going to be used after we die. Solomon's a great case study of this. He's being prophetic here. Um, he's writing this. And when he dies, his son, uh, Rehoboam, um, if you know the story, it's 1 Kings 12, right? Rehoboam, was, was he came in and he basically was the king that, the, that, that Israel got divided over. It was, it was under his watch, under his rule. The king, kingdom is divided. Much of his power is split. The, 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 God's people are in chaos. He lost 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel in his leadership. And so I'm sure Solomon, if he was alive when his son was kind of carrying on his legacy, would not have approved of a lot of that, right? So Solomon's a great case that he was right. His son didn't do what he probably wanted him to do. He didn't heed his words. And you get to verse 22. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also van- vanity. This is also vanity. There's no rest. And this is, this is if, it's pretty strong to say, but this is the low point of Ecclesiastes so far. In the first almost two chapters of this book, we've seen a lot of kind of um, Solomon being down on things. Well, this is rock bottom so far. I mean, he is low here. He is down. Um, And he's saying, uh, really, and and he hasn't, you notice he hasn't brought God into the equation yet. He has not mentioned God in Ecclesiastes up until this point we find ourselves at. But he's saying, apart from God, our labor, our work, our toil, our going after it is in vain. So, what he's saying, so what do we do? What do we do? Like, we can't get out of this toil business. This isn't, this isn't one of those things where we can say, well, let's just try to stay away from it, like moderation, or let's just, like, fast from that a little while, or let's just try to, like, try to focus on some other things other than work. No, this, we have to work. Like, this part of being a human being, we will work. As long as we're le- living and breathing, we will have work. And it's not just our career, it's just activity. Because I know you can say, what if I'm retired? No, I mean, anything you're putting your time and energy and effort to could fall under work or the toil that Solomon is speaking about. If we think back to the beginning of creation, Genesis 1, before the sin came into the world, God gives man and woman uh, the, 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 the charge to work, have dominion, be fruitful and multiply. Like, this is yours, cultivate it, plant Build. I'm giving you the raw materials. Now go make something of the earth. So he, work is a good thing. There was, there was a time before sin came into the world where work was pleasurable. God gave the stuff. Adam and Eve used it. They didn't get obsessed with the work. They didn't idolize the work. They used the work to enjoy God. And this was, it was pretty clean in that situation. But then in Genesis 3, sin comes into the world and ruins everything. Not only God gives them the curse, like it's going to get hard, like working the land is going to be really hard now. Um, God gives them that after um, sin came in. Um, So not only is it going to take blood and sweat, we're going to be in a constant battle with work to not allow it to, 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 to take everything from us, to not put our identity in it, to not see ourselves as the blank person, the guy who's a teacher, the guy who is an engineer, the guy who's a pastor, the, the 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 mom who's a teacher the mom who works um, in in the business or whatever it is the mom the dad the work that we do right um, the, the the person who's about the cause we want to take work and make it part of our identity and that is a result of sin and this all comes in when sin came into the world so we are prone to look for in our work for recognition for approval. I think all of us struggle with that to some degree, and maybe it's not the where you make your money, where you get your paycheck, but there's probably something else you do that you look for your identity in, and it has nothing really to do with money, right? The wealthy, um, more high paid jobs, low-paying jobs. We can find our identity in any kind of job because we want deep down we want to be recognized for what we do. We want the attaboys want to say, hey, you're, you're good. You're, and, and, and it's human nature to want that. We're, we're hardwired to want to be remembered, to leave a mark, to be approved of for what we do. That is not all bad. But what Solomon is saying is work is not going to give us what we really want out of it, what we desperately need. And the more you build your life around work, the more misery you're going to have. And this is from Solomon. Again, if anybody was going to tell us, give us wisdom for how this usually turns out, this is the man to listen to, one of the wisest men who ever lived and one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. And those two things, he had access to test these types of things, right? And here's the logic, right? And maybe you push back against, say, I don't think work is meaningless apart from God. Maybe you push back against that. But I would just dig, dig the, go down the rabbit hole a little bit, right? Why do you work? probably to, to make money, to be able to enjoy life to a greater degree, right? To be able to, to, to rest and do those things. Well, why do you want that stuff? Well, to be happy, to rest. Well, what, after that, what do you want? Well, then, you, then you're in a better position to go back and work and be a better worker, right? Oh, what for? Well, to have more stuff and be happier I mean, it's a cycle over and over and over, right? And you ask the why enough, eventually, like Solomon, you're going to come back into apart from God, it's meaningless. It's meaningless at the end of the day. When you look at the big picture, not a year snapshot, but when you look at your whole life and you're reflecting back on work, you're going to say it is meaningless apart from God. Okay. Well, how do we, how do we know this? And we may not be thinking about this in our everyday life. And, and a lot of us can find meaning from day to day in our work, like, like we said. But what Solomon's trying to get us to do is think about life from a big picture, like fast forward to your death and reflect back on your life. What are you putting into work? Is it get, are you getting out what you're putting into it? Are your relationships, those people close to you, are they benefiting from your working? Um, are you able to do the things God's called you to do that are maybe more important than the work you do? All those questions he's wanting us to reflect on. And it's hard. It's hard to, to like go to these places because it can produce guilt and shame in a lot of those ways. But Solomon wants us to get down to the, the the, the most important things in life and do some hard work of reflection. Let's look at verse 24. Here's the good news. He's got us here. He wants us to reflect. He's got us thinking about death. Things are really down. He's he's in despair. And then he gives this in 24. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. First off, he finally mentions God, first time in the book, but he's also contradicting himself. Like, what are you talking about, Solomon? Like, you've just been going on and on and on, lamenting about how awful your toil is, and now you're saying it's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Toil can be good. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, and that's the key, right? That's the key. This seems like a contradiction. It seems like a paradox, the only thing that's changed is now god is in the picture so that's our first clue right like despair and satisfaction he's saying are both from the hand of god right our work is going to be hard it's go- we're going to struggle at times because we live in a fallen world world and work is now hard it's going to be difficult but in that work we can be drawn to jesus god is here now we can we can turn to jesus And this is, I think, what Solomon wants. He wants to push us towards God. And we know from living on this side of the cross and the resurrection that that should actually push us to Jesus. Because you know who Jesus is most patient with, treats most kindly and warm to, are the people that are in despair. The people that are throwing up their hands and saying, I've got nothing left. Where do I turn? Where do I go? What I'm doing is not working. This is why he says, I've come to heal those who are sick and not those who are well. Why? Because the sick people know they're sick. The sick people know they need help. They're humble enough to say, what I'm doing in life, whether it's work or anything else, is not working. And I need something else. I need a savior. I need Jesus. And this is why Jesus loves the people who know they're, know, know they're broken. You look at it in the scriptures. He's attracted to them. He engages them. He calls for change, but he also engages them. He speaks tenderly to them. He's kind to them. So we need to read what Solomon's talking about and allow it to push us to God, even though it's confusing because God gives the work, but he also gives us the gift in the work of blessing. And it's come, there's a tension there that we have to walk in. Everything we have is from the hand of a gracious God. So our, our felt need here is a pointer to Jesus. And also the point is, is that apart from God, in a relationship with Jesus, eventually you're going to see your work is meaningless, meaningless. And Jesus did the most important work on our behalf so that we can actually put work in perspective. We don't have to go out and get our righteousness from work. We don't have to get out and find our identity and be someone through our work because we already are someone through our relationship with Jesus. So we can set work in its place, in its proper place, enjoy it, be faithful in it, work hard in it, but we don't have to bow down to it. We don't have to make it an idol because we already have one who approves of us because of the person and work of Jesus. This is why the gospel is so important when it comes to something as powerful as our work. Because if it wasn't for the righteousness of Christ, like I can't imagine anything else that it would be more um, difficult not to find your identity in than your work. Because we go to school for it. We invest in it. We put so many hours into it. Most of us love and find purpose in our work, and it's so easy for it to kind of get its claws in us. But what the gospel says is, no, 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 work, work belongs here, and it's healthy here. It's a good thing God gives us as long as Jesus has his proper place in our life. Let's keep reading. He, he kind of teases us out a little bit. Verse 25. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. But there it is again. He's asking the question, who can have enjoyment in anything he does apart from God? Verse 26, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and is striving after the wind. So here's a few things going on here. So first thing, that we're, there is a way to enjoy our work in the midst of the toil, in the midst of the difficulty, there is a way to enjoy it. And I think he tells us in verse 26, he says, um, for to the one who pleases him, right, or, or who, who's in relationship with him, right, or you could say in our in our this side of the cross, like, who's a Christian, right, to that person, God has given wisdom, given, key word there, it's a gift, it's not earned, it's, he's given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So, work and the things of work become a gift from God and we have to see him that way our abilities our skills our intellect our the the the, the way that God has orchestrated our life that's allowed us to be educated maybe that's allowed to be able to have us have, have a job the ability for us to to get to stay at home with our kids is that if that's part of our job right like that's a that's a blessing and a, a beautiful thing as well right so we have to see that as a as a gift from God that's the first thing we have to see these things as gifts from God, and we can enjoy the little things. The second thing we see is that the, he he divides people in two here, right? You have people who know God, who are in relationship with God, and then what he would call just sinners over here—people who we're all sinners, obviously—but sinners in relation to God who who aren't um, saved, who don't have a relationship with Him. And we and he's it's kind of hard to understand, but what most commentators think he's looking forward here to eternity, and what he's saying here that the there there are things that are going to last forever. And somehow there's things about what humans do on earth that will will last forever in some way. We don't know all those answers yet. But so everything is going to continue on into eternity. And some things that are done and are created by people who don't know God, who won't spend eternity with him, will continue on into eternity. That makes sense, right? That work is going to continue. So this is why in verse 26 he can say, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. So eventually those gifts are going to carry on into eternity. So you see God's grace and God's justice are on display here. And the biggest thing in all of this is that the little things matter. That's what I want you to see. Like God is a judge. He's holy. He's righteous. He sees everything, right? Everything matters, right? Even the little things, how we work, how, what we produce, and that's what he's highlighting here, right? The little things we do, the work, our toil, is not for it's not for nothing. It's not necessarily meaningless if we have the right perspective. Listen to Matthew 25, 29. This has echoes of some things Jesus taught. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, this is more of an eternal perspective. This isn't necessarily on earth these things will happen. Maybe, but... The main teaching is that in, 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 in the eternal life, right, in the life to come, this is what Jesus was speaking about. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's that word inherit, inherit the earth. He doesn't qualify that. He says the earth. So there's something that those who know him, those who love him, those who are meek enough to admit they need a savior and, 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 and kind of have that posture of living, they will be the ones that gain the earth. And this has echoes of Ecclesiastes in that passage. And because God judges everything rightly, everything matters. Listen to Matthew 10, 42. Jesus again. Whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, that word, even a cup of cold water, even Jesus acknowledging the, the small deed that is, um, because he is a disciple, truly, true, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. There's an idea of reward there, kind of that same idea of an inheritance, right? The little things matter. Even giving a cup of cold water to someone matters. It's important. The little things matter. And this should be encouraging to us from where we've been in Ecclesiastes so far, because it just seems like everything's meaningless. We should just throw it all up in the air and forget about it. But with the right perspective, in relationship with God, everything matters. And it changes the way we approach work, work, work. So how do we live in this tension? Because you should feel this tension of Solomon's wisdom about work. And I think we can all amen. Work is hard. There's sweat. There's pain. There's times you don't want to do it. No matter how much you love what you do, there are times you do not want to work. And why is that if that's a gift from God? Right? That's part of, the, part of these big questions that Solomon's asking. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I think Paul gives us a great kind of direction here and some application. Or do you not know that your body... It's a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. There's that gift language of the We've been given the Holy Spirit from God, and he dwells with us. He's inside of us. We're, 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 we're the home of the Holy Spirit, the part of the Trinity, right? And he continues on. You are not your own. Like You don't belong to yourself. You don't get to make the own call for yourself. There's someone that you are mastered by in a, in a gentle way. Jesus is our master. We have that gentle and easy yoke upon us verse 20, for you were bought with a price. We've been ransomed. We've been redeemed by Jesus. So based off of all of that, glorify God in your body. Anything you do glorify him. Your work, your play, your seeking knowledge, everything you do glorify him. Why? Because you've been bought through the precious blood of Christ. No merit of our own, not, no, nothing that we earned, not any of our righteousness have anything to do with it but we have been bought and we are not our own. So the the application, the umbrella is glorify God with your body and everything you do glorify him, including your work. So here are a couple of practicals. Number one, we must remember that we are not our own. We must remember our identity. We have to approach work as children who've been redeemed by Jesus, if that's true for us, that's true for you. And we have to go into work like that. So we don't try to gain identity, gain righteousness, gain approval, gain recognition from our work. Because that will lead us down the pathway that at the end of our life, we'll say that was meaningless. Second thing, so remember, number two, I think part of what Solomon wants us to do here is is take inventory. If we're going to get freedom um, from our work, we have to work out of our identity, which means taking inventory of how we spend our time. How we spend our activity are you receiving the activity as a gift that you can use to love god or are you using that activity maybe it's your work maybe it's a hobby maybe it's something else that you that you get recognition from are you using that to add something to your identity to kind of gain something selfish or are you using it with the posture of this is a gift from god and i'm gonna i'm gonna do this faithfully in order to honor and glorify him but that takes some that takes some deep work that takes some effort that that Cause us to go into some scary places because it may mean we change work, we change how we work, it changes how much we work, changes how intensity we how intense we go after the work. What does family look like in relationship to work? All those questions start coming up once we start asking these questions. And I encourage you to do this in community with with trusted brothers and sisters in Christ to help ask good questions and talk through this because it's scary. Last one, So remember, take inventory. And last one, I'll say um, this is a bonus for, for Mother's Day and really for parents um, everywhere, dads, dads included, but moms and to be moms, I just want to give you the permission to just rest in your identity with him. There's so much mom guilt. There's so much I hear from Nicole all the time. There's so much I could do better. I'm not as good. I saw on Instagram. I mean, all of this stuff, right? Like, it feels like you have to be a superwoman to be a mom. So I want to encourage you to rest in your identity in him and remind you that that is the most important thing. Rest in him. Find your satisfaction in him. Find your approval in him and not how well behaved your kids are or not how well they're scoring on some test. And that's so, so difficult. I struggle with that as a dad. But find your rest in him and then enjoy being a mom. It's not a performance then. You're not getting, there's not a scorecard at every turn for how you're doing as a mom. Find your identity to him and enjoy the heck out of being a mom. Be a mom and enjoy it. is what I've been told. I mean, we still have young kids. It goes quick. It goes quick. So enjoy the stages of life from your kids. So here it is. The, the gift uh, from God and the calling is to enjoy work. And I think what we do plays out in, a, in such a large role in our church. Just imagine if we were the kind of people who brought the fruit of the spirit to work. Right? That list of things. Right? If we were faithful to our job and not consumed by it? Right? If we were kind to our co-workers and saw our, uh, them as teammates rather than competing with them in a healthy way for a promotion or to one-up them all the time, or what if we had enough self-control in our work to keep the proper perspective and not sacrifice our families on the altar of our success? Like, Imagine if we brought the fruit of the Spirit and laid that over our work life. Imagine the witness, the, the kind of odd, oh, you're, that's unique, that's weird. Those you kind of conversations you would, be, you would be having maybe with your coworkers in the context of work because of how different you're living in this very kind of like just matter of fact way. And I believe if we did this, God would receive more glory. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm thankful for your word, I'm thankful again for this book, and it, he just seems to be going through, <laughs> and, it, and it's not shocking because it's in your word, but he's also a smart guy, right? He's done this. He's lived life. He understands the, the places in our life that we're prone to be tripped up, where we throw up our hands or we look to other things to for our satisfaction and away from you. And I pray we would heed the kind of the warning of these first several verses that we looked at today, and that would drive us to you. That would cause us to go to you and do some reflection. Remember our identity. And when we wake up and we, we find work and, and we're, our activity getting, getting its claws in us, we can kind of stop and say, wait a minute. Like this isn't, I'm not living out of my identity here. I'm not living as a forgiven child of God in the workplace. I'm trying to earn something. I'm trying to gain significance or a name for myself or the, the next paycheck or whatever it is. Help us, Lord. Help us see those things. Help us come to you in repentance and ask you to change us through your spirit. And we can only do that by looking at your son and in the gospel. Give us the power, give us the ability to do that. And we love you, it's in your son's name we pray, amen.